Right, grab a seat, guys. We're in Esther chapter 4, which is page 412 in our church Bibles. Esther chapter 4. Let me just read, read you this quick quote. Um, Johnny, would you do the thing? Listen to this. If you died right now, it wouldn't make a difference. Big picture. If you've never been born, no one would care. That's the opinion of a, a young man called Elias Skjolberg. I'm going to go for that. Sounds about right. He's, um, he's one of the poster boys for what's being called contemporary nihilism, which is a modern movement of kind of Generation Z, um, kind of young people, kind of the, the way that they kind of understand their existence. And this is the conclusion that they're coming to. It doesn't matter whether we live or whether we die, whether we're here or whether we're not, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference. That is the most sad conclusion that you can reach. My hope and prayer is that as we sit here this morning, as we read through this chapter together, that we would see that actually the, the truth of the Bible totally contradicts that. The truth of the Bible is that our existence is significant. I don't know whether any of you saw the news last night, just the um, horrific story of, of a lady who is prominent in kind of celebrity culture taking her own life. Such a sad kind of end to, to a career and being just crushed by the weight of, of, of guilt and shame. And the only conclusion that she could reach was just to finish it and to take her life away from herself. Our existence is significant, folks. The truth of the Bible is that we are created with purpose. We are created with meaning. We are created in the image of God. We are created with an an identity. We are created with a potential to make a difference. And our existence on this earth is significant. Big picture, it would make a difference if we truly knew who we were. The, the truth is, if we died right now knowing who we truly are in Christ Jesus, that actually our death would be, would be this strange paradox of, of relief as we leave this earth, but also grief. That people would miss us. That we would leave a hole, that we would leave an absence as we go because the things that we have brought to this earth, the things that we have brought to the people around us has made a difference. We were created with a purpose. We were created with meaning and identity. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you know that. You know that. You've kind of read the Bible. You've you've been with us for for a while. You kind of know how we have been created, who we have been created for. But even you get a sense sometimes that life is just living, don't you? Like you'd be lying if you didn't. Like sometimes you just wake up in the morning and you, and you, you put on your, your work clothes and you go to work and you come home and you go to bed and it just feels like the same thing day in, day out, doesn't it? Sometimes it just feels like you're just changing nappies or cleaning the house or, or driving from one place to the next and you're just waiting for the evening to come so you can put down your head and close your eyes and just sleep. It just feels like you're living just feels like existence. You need to know you were created for more than that. 
I want us to see this morning as we work through this chapter that God has positioned you in the place and time that you are for his sovereign purpose. God's sovereign purpose is kind of great plan. The, the reason that he has created us is that he would gather a people to himself from all of the nations under his rule, under his reign, in his place. I want us to see that we have been positioned. If you're a Christian this morning, you have been positioned in, in the place and time that you are in for God's sovereign purposes. But I want you to hear this as well. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your savior this morning, it is not an accident that you are here. That God has placed you here this morning for his sovereign purposes. You haven't just landed here by coincidence. God has brought you here for his purpose. We're going to see that in chapter 4. Uh, Matty reminded us before as he was leading us in worship that, that the book of Esther is, is the one book in the Bible which kind of stands out in that you don't see God's name at all. God doesn't speak. You don't see him written. You don't see uh, kind of the writer saying, and God said this, or God moved in this way. You just don't see that at all. But, but in, a, in an incredible way, you see God all over this book. Like he is in every chapter on every page. And we are going to see in chapter four that God positions his people in the place and time that they are for his sovereign purposes. So let me read it. And then I'll pray. And then we'll jump in. Esther chapter four, 412 in the Bibles. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he could take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai and in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and command her to go to the king to beg his favor, and to plead with him on her behalf. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king for these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, 
I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to come and to hear from it. Father, lead us to see Jesus in, in this book this morning. Lead us to see Jesus as our true and better king. Lead us to see him as the one who leads us out to go into the world around us, to speak the truth and love, to be heralds of the good news that Jesus has come and lived and died and risen again so that we can be brought into his people, so that we can receive life, not death. Holy Spirit, help us this morning. Lead us towards truth. Open our eyes to see truth this morning. Open our eyes to see the brokenness around us. Empower us to step into it. For the glory of Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. So if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, let me just give you a quick recap. We're working through the book of Esther. We've been taking a week in each chapter. In chapter one, we saw uh, King Ahasuerus, a king who was ruling over Persia thousands of years ago. And, and he's a king who likes the party. He's a king who, who kind of likes his comfort and all of the things around him. And in chapter one, we saw him uh, get rid of his queen, Queen Vashti. She wouldn't listen to to his command and so he, he got rid of her in chapter two he brings in a new queen queen esther queen esther is a jew except she hides that identity from the king he isn't aware of that and she becomes uh, the most powerful uh, woman in the in the empire she becomes queen queen esther has a cousin mordecai who we hear about in chapter four here and mordecai uh, is positioned at the king's gate and he overhears a plot to try and kill the king and he sends word to Esther. Esther gives the word to the king. The king kind of sends out this investigation and finds out this plot is true. And they exterminate the two men who uh, were plotting to kill the king. And we, ex- we expect Mordecai to be elevated into a position of honor, or he isn't. In chapter three, we see a new character, Haman, come into the story. The sworn enemies of God's people. He was an Agagite who were, who were a, a nation that always positioned themselves against God. And Haman is filled with rage against Mordecai, but not just Mordecai, all of Mordecai's people, God's people, the Jews. Because as he comes through the gate, Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. In honor for his God, he refuses to bow down. Haman's filled with rage and he sets out this decree, which we read about at the start of the chapter here, a decree to exterminate all of God's people. It's a genocide, over a million people in the empire at this time, a million Jews in the empire. And his decree is to exterminate all of them in one day. We pick up the story in chapter four. Mordecai learns about the decree. He hears about it and he rips his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. He goes into the most public part of the city and he cries out in anguish. He hears about this plan to exterminate God's people of whom he is one. And he's filled with grief. Sackcloth and ashes which kind of sound, sounds a bit strange to us. And if we saw that kind of today, we would think it's a bit odd. But back then it was common practice for a Jew who was, who was mourning or, or in distress. They would um, get rid of their clothes and they would put on um, kind of like a, a goat's um, um, kind of hair, uh, 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 like a cloth to put around them. And they'd cover themselves in ashes. This was a sign of their grief, a sign of their mourning and it wasn't a private thing that they would do they would come out into the public and do this 
see Mordecai coming into the most public place in the city, right in the middle of the city. He doesn't care who, who sees him. He is overwhelmed with the plight of God's people. He sees them heading towards death and he is filled and overcome with grief. He approaches the king's palace, but he can only go so far. No one who is wearing sackcloth is allowed to come into the king's palace. No one who's mourning, no one who's in distress is allowed to come into the presence of the king and into the palace. Meanwhile, the rest of the empire, all God's people are fasting and mourning. They're putting on sackcloth and ashes filled with grief. Yet those inside the king's palace are oblivious to it. They're oblivious to the pain of the Jews. They're oblivious to the circumstances of this genocide which is coming. And Esther kind of confirms that, doesn't she? Word comes to her about Mordecai being out in the city, kind of clothed in sackcloth and ashes. And instead of kind of sending her messages to find out what, what's wrong with him, she says, send him some clothes. Send him some clothes to cover him up. See, what Esther is doing here in the picture that we have here is her closing her eyes to the spiritual realities that are taking place. No one inside the palace is allowed to kind of understand and see and experience the mourning and pain that is going on outside. Esther has her eyes closed to the realities of God's people walking towards death outside. In her palace, all is well. There's no kind of demands on her. There's no weight on her to feel the grief and and feel the circumstances and feel the reality of God's people walking towards death. And that is so often the same with us. So often we forget that we are placed where we are for God's purposes. So often we, we close our eyes to the spiritual realities going on around us that there are hundreds and thousands of people in this city walking towards death. So often we close our eyes and allow ourselves to get distracted by, by all of the good things that God has given us. We, we just fill our lives with, with our family and fill our, our lives with work and fill our lives with, with comfort. And we'd be so much happy just to walk into our house and shut the door and maybe play on our PlayStation or open a book or just sit down and enjoy each other's company. Than to open our eyes to the realities of the brokenness around us. What would happen if we opened our eyes for us? What would we see if we kind of opened our eyes and saw the spiritual realities of the people around us? Instead of shutting ourselves off and and kind of shielding ourselves from it or just ignoring it and pushing it away, what would we see? If we opened our spiritual eyes in this city, in this place that God has called us into this morning, we would see that around 98% of the people in this region would not profess the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour and are walking towards death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Exclusion from God's presence for all eternity. Sitting in judgment under their sin for all eternity. Suffering the right and just penalty of the wrath of God being poured out on them for all eternity. 98%. That means in most of the roads that we live in, we are probably the only believers that, that live on that road. Maybe there might be another house. If we opened our spiritual eyes, we would see that there are over 7,000 people groups in this world who have no access to the gospel. They have no idea. They have no, 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 no idea of the privilege it is to hold this book. To see the beauties of Christ page after page in this book. If we opened our spiritual eyes, we would see that there are over 3 billion people in those 7,000 people groups who don't know Jesus. 
who have no access to it. If we opened our spiritual eyes, we would see the brokenness of the world around us. Come back to our city, if we opened our spiritual eyes, we would see people pushed to the margins of society. Homeless people who people literally spit on and set fire to as they sleep. Young women being dragged into sex trafficking in our very city, in our very community. Being trafficked from all over the world, from Eastern Europe into our city to gratify men and women for their own desires. If we opened our spiritual eyes, we would see people living in extreme poverty with no one reaching out to help them. If we opened our spiritual eyes, folks, we would see the world around us and we'd see that it's broken. We'd see people walking towards a spiritual death without a God. Here's what I'd love us to do this week. I'd love us to see that we are positioned in the place and time that we are in for God's sovereign purposes. And the first thing I'd love us to do in response to that is to open our eyes. Open our eyes. And, and not just kind of say, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that, but go home. Open your eyes and write down what you see. Not just kind of physically, not, not what you see, but spiritually, what do you see? Write down people's names. Write down the places that you go to. Write down your neighbours. Write down the things that you experience every day that, that just show you the brokenness of the world around us. Write down family members. Write down situations. Write down the brokenness and the darkness that you see. Write it down, journal it. Open your eyes to the folks. And close your eyes to the spiritual realities around us. I'm just going to stop and pray. We're not done. <laughs> I've still got another two points to go, but I want to stop and just pray that God by his spirit would enable us to do that. And we wouldn't just take this as, okay, we've heard that, let's move on and do something else, but we would go away and do that. And the reason I say write it down is, because if we don't, we'll just forget it. And we'll just move on to something else. It's in my study, some of you might have seen it, in my house, I've got a, a wall which is just filled with people's names and situations on it. And the reason I do that is, one, because I've got a really bad memory, Elizabeth will tell you that. But secondly, so I can remember you. All you guys are written on that wall. I remember you in prayer each week and, and so many other people who aren't here this morning who are outside of God's people. I have to write them down to remember them. So let me just pray and then we'll move on. Father, we're so aware, even this morning, just in light of recent events in, in the media and just this week, so aware of the brokenness of what it is to live in this world Father open our eyes so we can see we're sorry for, for ignoring it, we're sorry for, for closing our eyes because sometimes it causes us to be uncomfortable when we do we're sorry for shutting our door on the, the realities of the darkness and brokenness of this world but by your spirit would you open them for us would you help us to see the realities of the world around us? Would you, would you give us a burden for the lost, broken and hurting around us? In this place, in Lark Lane, in our city in Liverpool, right across this world, would you open our eyes and give us a burden for those who are heading towards an eternal judgment away from you? Holy Spirit, practically help us to go away and do this think about it, to pray about it, to open our eyes and to write these things down so we can engage with them and step into them. And Jesus, we ask these things not, 
Not that we would be filled with grief and mourning and guilt and shame. So that we can bring you and your gospel to bear on these people's lives. So that you can heal. So that you would save. So that they would experience the grace and mercy that comes from you. Help us, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. So Esther sends out these clothes. She wants to ignore the situation. And they come in verse 4 to Mordecai, but Mordecai refuses them. He doesn't want her clothes. Word then gets back to Esther. So she sends out one of her eunuchs to find out a little bit more information what's going on. Mordecai is easy to find. He's right in the middle of the city, sackcloth and ashes, wailing as loud as he can. And he gives Hathak, Esther's um, eunuch, all the information that she needs. He gives him a detailed account of the fate of God's people, Esther's people. He gives him a copy of Haman's decree. And he sends Hathak back with a command to Esther. She needs to go to the king. She needs to go to the king and ask for his favor and plead on behalf of the Jews. So Hathak goes back to Esther. Esther's response, not a chance. There's not a chance I'm going into the king. So she says there's, there's, a, there's a rule in the empire, there's a rule in the Persian empire that no one can enter into the presence of the king. Not even the queen can go in. No one can enter into the king's presence unless they are summoned. The only way that they can come in is if the king holds out his, his golden scepter. This was like a, 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 an ornate piece of wood which was wrapped in gold. If the king holds out his scepter, then maybe she can come in. But, but the problem is for Esther, she hasn't even seen him for 30 days. It seems like the king's lost interest in her. Mordecai opens Esther's eyes to the reality of the world, the brokenness, the death that is impending around her. And Esther's response is to play it safe. There's no way she can do it. Folks, again, the reality for us is the world around us is lost, it is broken, it is dying, it is hurting. We know that, most of us. The question is, what will we do? What will we do with those lists of names of people and the circumstances and, and the brokenness that we see in this next week? What will we do? Will we play it safe and avoid stepping in? Because it's easy to do that. It's so easy if you're a Christian to kind of withdraw away from that and just hide within culture. We were made for more, folks. We weren't made to kind of sit behind our doors and play it safe. If you're not a believer this morning, what will you do? If you do the same, if you open your eyes to the spiritual realities that are around you, that without God you have no hope, that you are heading towards death, what will you do? Will you ignore it? Will you play it safe and kind of just withdraw and not engage with it? You were made for more. Esther's message of her kind of not wanting to go into the king gets back to Mordecai. It's a bit of like ping pong between mm -hmm. Esther and, and Mordecai. These messages just going to and from. But Mordecai's not done. He sends one final message back to Esther. Look down at verse 13. This is what Mordecai says. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the Jews. He says you can't ignore this, Esther. You can't ignore kind of this decree that's gone out. You can't shut yourself away. This decree is for all of the Jews. It is a genocide of all of the Jews. And that includes you. The king will find you out. Even though you hid it from him, he will find you out and you will go as well. 
and Mordecai says something truly profound. And remember, everything is stacked against God's people here. The decree has been signed off by the king. It has been sealed with his signet ring, which means it cannot be undone. A date has been set. This is going to happen. Everything is stacked against the Jews. Then listen to what Mordecai says in verse 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Even if you keep silent, Esther, even if you don't step into this, relief is coming. God will save his people. He will protect them. He will preserve them. We saw this last week. God is faithful to his promises. And he has promised to gather a people to himself under his rule, under his reign, in his place. And he will be faithful to that promise. And so he will bring the deliverance of the Jews, whether it's through you, Esther, or not. What you see in Mordecai here is a picture of faith. Again, you don't read God's name here, but but that is the only way that this can happen. It isn't faith in, in Esther. It isn't faith in Mordecai. This is faith that comes from God. Again, we're not told that it's God there. But Mordecai knows enough about God. And what he knows about God to be true is enough for him to know that God will preserve his people, that he is faithful, that he is powerful, that he will protect them, that he will defeat his enemies. Remember, all of this is being played out during Passover. The time when God's people would have been most convinced of his faithfulness to his promises. Esther, deliverance will come. Even if you don't step in here, God will deliver us. But then what does he say? But what if, Esther, what if the very reason that you are here now is the means of God's purpose? What if the very reason that you've been brought into the kingdom, what if the very reason that you've been made queen through horrific circumstances, what if the very reason that you are here is that God would save through you? He asks her that question, what if, Esther? What if the reason God has positioned you in the place and time that you are in is for God's sovereign purpose? What if? Mordecai asks that as a question. Actually, we know if you know the truth of the Bible, that isn't a question. That is a statement of fact. God has positioned us in the place and time that we are in for God's sovereign purposes for such a time as this. It is as true for Esther as it is true for us. That we are here, we have been prepared, we have endured for the moment that we are in right now. And often we look at our present situations and we don't like it. And we kind of think, if only I could be over there. If only I could be in that house. If only I could be with with that man or or with that woman. If only I could have that job. But what if God has you where you are now to use you where you are now? For his purposes. What if God has positioned you in the place and time that you are in for his sovereign purposes for such a time as this? Folks, we need to open our eyes to the spiritual realities around us. And we need to open our hands. We see that next, that that, that Esther kind of has her eyes open to what is going on around her. Mordecai challenges her. What if the reason that you are here is for God's purposes? The situation still hasn't changed. The, 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 the decree is still out there. The Jews are still heading towards death. 
Esther knows it's still impossible for her to get before the king. That the, the law is that if she comes before, before the king, she will die. That is the law. There's no way that she can do it. So what does she do? What do we do with that list of kind of names and people and circumstances around us? Well, look at verse 16. She goes back to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. This is an act of deep, deep dependence on God. Esther hears it from Mordecai and she says, okay, send send word to the people, gather them together, fast for me, and by implication, pray. They would have always prayed when they fasted. This is them saying, God, more than food, more than these other things, more than food, we need you. We need you more than these things. This is an act of dependence. It's an act of surrender to God. She has had her eyes opened and now she has her hands open saying, God, I need you. She sees the realities of her situation and she cries out to God for help. Folks, that is what we need to do. When we see that we have been positioned in the place and time that we are in for God's sovereign purposes, we need to to open our eyes and then we need to open our hands and say, God, we need you. We can't do anything about this. We can't push back darkness. We can't bring the the salvation to people. Only you can do. So we open our hands in an act of dependence. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 6. If you've been going through the Bible in a year, you've been here recently. Matthew chapter 6, you get this great kind of statement by Jesus. a, A picture of what God's purposes are. And he says, seek the kingdom first. That is like a rule for life. If you remember one verse as a Christian, remember that one. Seek the kingdom first. Like make that your life's ambition to seek God's kingdom first. But it's interesting that before he says that, he spends so much time teaching his disciples, this is what it is to pray. This is how you pray, the Lord's prayer. And then he goes on and says, and this is how you fast. It's interesting kind of how he sequences that. We cannot seek the kingdom unless we are dependent wholly on God. We cannot walk into his purposes unless we have our hands open in prayer and in fasting saying, God, more than anything, we need you. We cannot do this without you. So we open our eyes and we open our hands. Can I say this in this room? We do that together. Mordecai, uh, Esther doesn't say to Mordecai, okay, I'm going to fast and pray for three days and three nights. What does she say? Go and send message to the people. We need to fast and pray together. This is a community thing. So can I say, when you write down that list of names of people and the things that are going on in the circumstances around you, please don't don't keep them to yourself. Bring them to Gospel Community on Wednesday or or next Wednesday, and we pray through them together. We open our hands together as God's people. We open our eyes and we open our hands in acts of deep dependence. And then look at what she does, the second half of verse 16. I, my young women, will also fast as you do. Then I will go into the king. That is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Isn't that an amazing transformation from Esther from the start of the chapter? She's kind of shutting herself out from the realities, closing her eyes to it. And now she is willing to say, I'll do it. I'll go in and if I die, I die. She's no longer playing it safe. She's no longer kind of weighing up the cost of whether it's worth it or not. She has open eyes. She has open hands. And now she is open to go. 
She's seen that God has positioned her in the place and time that she is in for God's sovereign purposes. And she is open to step into it. Can I say, I think that's where we struggle most if you're a Christian. I think we're, we're, we're okay with kind of opening our eyes and we're okay with opening our hands in dependence to God. But when it comes to actually stepping in and going, I think that's where we struggle. So often we're crippled by fear when we have a list of people and circumstances and just when we can see the darkness around us, we're aware of it. So often, often we're crippled by fear. So often it's laziness that takes over us. It stops us stepping in. So often it's sin that stops us. It creates a kind of stumbling block for us stepping into the purposes of God. Can I encourage us this morning? When we step in, when we have open eyes, open hands, and when we are open to go, we don't go alone. It's not like we walk off and and God kind of waves us on our way and kind of pushes. No, he goes with us. And remember, God isn't mentioned at all in this book. But the only way that Esther will see this through is if God is at work. It is impossible for her to get before the king. The only way she can is if God does a work to make it happen. Mordecai is confident that he will, whether it's through Esther or another means. And we know that God is right there with him. It's no different for us. In fact, as we take up that that kind of mandate and that commission to go into the lost and broken. We need to know that God is closer to us than we know. We do not go on our own. We do not go in our own strength. We go with God. This is an interesting picture here of, of, of what type of king, King Ahasuerus is. And if you haven't kind of worked it out by now, by chapter four, you get a little bit more detail here. He is a tyrant. He is a tyrant ruler. He, He won't allow people to approach him. Literally, the penalty is death if you come near him without him saying you can. The only way that you can draw near him is if he holds out his golden scepter. This was common practice for the kings of the time. Like like they would have their kind of holy place that you weren't allowed to enter into and you were only allowed to draw near if they would hold out their scepter. And actually, you read about this practice right through the Bible. You read about kind of this this theme of the scepter all the way through the Bible. And just for a couple of minutes as we close, if we see the way the, the, the Bible portrays this and portrays God as a king against the kings of the world, then we will be spared on to go. Because we will be so convinced that God is with us and we do not go alone, that nothing can stand against us. So let me just give us two verses where we see this picture of a scepter. The first one is in uh, Genesis 49 verse 10. Genesis 49 verse 10. This is hundreds of years before uh, God's people are in exile here in the book of Esther. And this is what it says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. This is written in Genesis. Hundreds of years before Esther, thousands of years before the Lord Jesus Christ comes, incarnate, lives amongst us. Genesis 49 is saying that there will be one from the tribe of Judah who will come. And he will come with a scepter. And to to him who the scepter belongs, his obedience will be the obedience of the people. Can you see what this is looking towards? If you know your Bible, you know who this is talking about. This verse is about Jesus. That Jesus will come and as he lives, he lives a perfect life. No sin. Complete obedience to God. 
And see, God's, God's, God's people are, are, are people who are to be brought into his place under his rule. But the problem is that there are disobedience excluders. That is the great problem that you see chapter after chapter through the Old Testament. God wants to bring his people into his presence. He wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be united with his people. But sin continually divides us. Our disobedience continually divides us from God. And Genesis chapter 49 is saying there will be one who comes from the tribe of Judah who will hold out his scepter. And the obedience of the nation shall be his. It's saying that his obedience will be the nation's obedience. It will be imparted to the nations. It will be imputed to the nations. It will be given to the nations. The only way that we can draw near to God is if we are obedient. And Genesis 49 is saying there will be one who comes and makes a way for that. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. This is in the New Testament. Jesus has come and lived amongst us. He has died on the cross for us. He has resurrected and ascended to be with God again. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Chapter 1, verse 8. But about the Son, this is Jesus. He says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Here we have a picture again of Jesus holding out the scepter. And this scepter is a scepter of justice. Now, if you know the book of Hebrews, you would know that the, the writer of the Hebrews is trying to show us that Jesus is a priestly king. A king who rules. Rules eternally. Rules with justice over his kingdom. Rules in such a way and has a kingdom that doesn't shut people out like King Ahasuerus' kingdom. But a kingdom which delights in the presence of his people. A kingdom in which, in which you can approach the king. In full confidence, listen to this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, to enter the holy places. King Ahasuerus has his holy place and you are not coming in. Unless he says you can come in and he holds out his scepter. The penalty to come into his presence is death. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying that there is one who rules and reigns. His throne will last forever. He will have a scepter of justice. And we can draw near to him into the holy place with confidence. How? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, that has drawn near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Death was the penalty for drawing near to King Ahasuerus. And in the same way, because of our sin against God, God's justice demanded our death. The writer of the Hebrew, the book of Hebrews is saying here, God's people are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ who died for us. The penalty of our sin, which was death, was paid for by Jesus in his death. Our sin was removed and his obedience was given to us. That means that as Jesus holds out his scepter of justice, it doesn't exclude us His justice has been paid. The right justice that was demanded from us, our death has been paid. So actually as he holds out his his golden scepter, it is a symbol of our unity with God that we can come into his presence. 
with heart full of faith, full of confidence. Scepter of Jesus is a symbol of our unity that we are present with him. And he is with us. Jesus is able to present us before God clothed in his obedience because of his death and through his resurrection. We are united to God. Folks, that means that as we open our eyes to the brokenness of the world around us, as we open our hands in in an act of dependence, as we pray and as we fast, and as we go, we can know that we do not go alone. We go with God because we are united with him. We are with God now in his presence, and he is with us now by the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. We We can have confidence of that. We don't need to waver in our faith about whether we are united to God or not. No, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, be full of confidence. Have confidence that we are in the holy place now by the new and living way that Jesus has opened up to us through the opening of his body, through his broken flesh and through his shed blood. So draw near with hearts full of assurance that we are with him. That our disobedience doesn't exclude us from God anymore. We are with him. That means that as we go into the broken world around us, we go with the full power of God with us. As his spirit dwells within us, that means we can go without fear. That means we can go without fear of judgment for our sin. That means that we can know, we can go knowing that he dwells in us. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he can make a change. Folks, our lives are not, in, are not insignificant here by accident God has drawn us together for his sovereign purposes that he might work through us for his glory would we have open eyes to see the spiritual realities around us open hands to depend on him and would would we be open to go with God as people who have been cleansed from our disobedience and are indwelt by the Spirit of God, would we see that we have been positioned by God in the place and time that we are for His sovereign purposes? Let's pray. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Father, we thank You that You are faithful to all of Your promises. Thank you for the promise that you gave to Abraham thousands of years ago. That through him, through his descendants, you would gather to yourself a people and you would rule over them. And we would walk in obedience to you and we would be your people in your place. Father, we thank you that for those of us who are yours, we are part of that promise, that you've been faithful to that promise. Lord Jesus, we thank you that that we are not excluded from the presence of God because of our disobedience. But by your, your broken body and your shed blood, by your death on the cross, and because of your perfect life, we have been brought into the presence of God. We have not been shut out. We do not enter in under the penalty of our death anymore. The penalty has been paid. Thank you that we are present with you now and you are present with us now by the indwelling of your spirit. And so fill us with courage, fill us with boldness as we open our eyes to the realities around us. Empower us to go and step into the lives of the people around us.
Help us to go with confidence. Help us to go knowing that God, you are a God who can save, who is kind, who is merciful, who is loving, and who is faithful. God, we pray where there is unbelief, would you open the eyes of unbelief and help those people to see the spiritual reality around them, that they are heading towards an eternal death without you, under the right and just punishment for their sin. And God, would you save? Please, would you, give, would you give faith where it is needed for those people to believe that you are who you say you are, that you are a good father who loves his people, who has done all that is required for us to be able to shed off our clothes of sin and to put on the clothes of righteousness. Holy Spirit, fill us, we ask. Give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden for the broken and the hurting. Help us to be a people who pray, who fast and depend on God for all things. And help us to go. The glory of the Son. It's in His name we pray. Amen. We're going to share this meal together now. Let me just read this verse from Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul says this For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. As we take this meal, we take it again, remembering that God has positioned us in the place and time that we are in for His sovereign purposes. And at the right time, Jesus Christ died for us. It wasn't an accident that Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't an accident that he was born of a virgin. It wasn't an accident that he lived a perfect life. This has been planned by God for all of eternity as his means to draw his people back to him. At the right time, Christ died. And Christ died for who? Not the well, not the righteous, not the deserving. The ungodly. 